Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Friends, our reading this morning comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. No, wait. No, Gospel of Matthew. Just kidding. The Gospel according to Matthew. I know we spent a lot of time in Luke. We really have. Um, now, while it appears first in the New Testament, I have to tell you the Gospel according to Matthew was not the first Gospel to be written. Most scholars think that it was written sometime after the Gospel of Mark, which appeared in 65 or 70 CE. They think this because about 90% of the material in Matthew appears in Mark's Gospel. So this would mean that Matthew was written somewhere, maybe around 80 to 90 CE. Often called a teacher's gospel, Matthew is, because it focuses heavily on the teaching ministry of Jesus and emphasizes a strong need for faith leaders to not only understand the word, but to teach it to others as well. Indeed, the role of Jesus as a Jewish teacher or a rabbi is more prominent in the gospel of Matthew than in any other New Testament writing. Our selection this morning comes from a teaching block in Matthew contained within three of five teaching discourses. This covers about 53 uh, 53 verses in chapter 13. Scholars call this little block the parabolic discourse because it presents several parables discussing the kingdom of God. And here in the first part of the discourse, we see Jesus outside of the house, sitting near a lake, where multitudes of people have come to hear him speak. The parable is called the parable of the tares or the weeds. And like most parables, it's been interpreted several ways through the centuries. And like most parables, it's packed with meaning and defies one single interpretation. So let's hear now these words from Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, an enemy. An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, no, no. For in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest and at harvest time I will tell the reapers collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn may God add a blessing to the reading of this word Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. 
and love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Let us be known, let us be soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself so before we move on normally the preaching would start now but i have a midsummer surprise for you all as we've sung this song for six weeks in a row this is our seventh week i will reveal to you that this song is actually around so what we're going to do is we're going to sing it as around express the fullness of the song as we send it off into Neverland. Um, so I'm going to sing the first part. Carly is going to sing the second part. Jared and the men of note are going to sing the third part. You're welcome to jump in on any of the parts that feel good to you, and uh, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> All right. One, two, three. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. All right, all together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well done. <laughs> Good morning, St. Andrew. For the past several months as a congregation, we have spent a good deal of time talking about the art and the biblical practices of neighboring, including how better to connect with our community. We've talked about setting and expanding tables, building bridges, making peace, and seeing one another. We conclude the Would You Be My Neighbor series today with being a gardener. Exploring how we can plant seeds of kindness, compassion, and care to form the beloved community with our neighbors. Now, truth be told, in this time of increasing isolation, division, and indifference, you may be just fine hanging out in the garden, not dealing with people at all, but simply talking to your plants. Some days I'd actually prefer that too. 
But the Gospel of Matthew actually takes us to a different place today, perhaps in our own understanding of the parable of the tares or the weeds and what this garden may look like. All of our other scriptures, as Rev. Jerry said, from this particular sermon series have come from the Gospel of Luke, but this particular passage comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, prior to his parable of the weeds, just concluded with the parable of the sower, an allegory about the kingdom of God. The gospel writer today wastes no time in turning the parable into a judgment parable of the weeds and the wheat, which is also known as the parable of the tares. Now, the book of Matthew is filled with words like gnashing of teeth, weeping, wailing, outer darkness, and consuming fires. And friends, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking none of this is really encouraging for the art of neighboring. And depending on your context, some would say that this parable could be used for justification for who is in and out of the kingdom of God, the good, the bad, and this parable becomes a clear delineation of the weed from the weeds. But frankly, I think that's kind of lazy and an easy way out to simply reduce this parable as a us against them dynamic. Here are a few things that I hope you'll consider when listening to this parable today. First, it is likely that the community of Matthew was writing Two was a community that was struggling, a community that in fact themselves had been displaced out of their synagogues, and they were struggling to justify themselves in the face of rejection. Now, feeling that way is understandable, human, but taken to the extreme can imply that some people are the wheat, favored by God, the good and the chosen ones, while others are the enemies, evil, the weeds that will one day be gathered up and burned. This theology and the literal reading of the text without any context can become dangerous if our takeaway is limited to the message that we as Christians are called to separate the children of the kingdom from the children of the evil one. Author Wayne Dyer said it this way, he said, the only difference between a flower and a weed is judgment. Now, I admit I know very little about gardening. My grandfather had a vegetable garden when I was a kid that produced green beans and cantaloupe and so much goodness. But my favorite thing to do was to walk with him up and down the rows as he tilled the garden. Sooner, I would, sooner or later, I would get kind of bored, kind of impatient as children do, and I would just find a patch of dirt where I could sit. Well, you might imagine what happened. Eventually, over time, I started pulling up things. He quickly instructed me that I was pulling up the tomato saplings, and no, those were not flowers to take to my grandmother. But until I got caught, he let me stay there for a while, and I just kept going. It was during the pandemic that my wife, Jennifer, planted a garden in our rocky urban soil. And she got a hundred seeds or so and just kind of scattered them around the yard. Well, I'd like to think I've learned a little more about gardening since then. 
But generally, I know what is a weed and most of the time what's not a weed. But my tendency is to want to tidy things up. So I likely cost our kids their Halloween pumpkins that year. But nobody else really seemed to matter. So whether it be with flowers or vegetables or with people or in life, by now most of us have learned or had to unlearn the rules of who belongs and who doesn't. We know or we're taught who belongs and who doesn't in our country, in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our jails. And frankly, we don't have to look very far to find the voices speaking from pulpits and in the public square declaring who deserves life and who deserves to die and whose life has value. In fact, many faith communities have taken this very parable read today as marching orders, as a mandate to identify who were the weeds that needed to be plucked up, uprooted, and who should be thrown into the fires of judgment. Gandhi comes to mind here when he said, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians, for your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Friends, there is a church, a world, more than willing to make decisions based on skin color, immigration status, prison record, voting record, and even baptism. Not too far back, people were burned at the stake and had crosses burned in their yard. Why? Because they believe different. They love different. They worship differently than we do. And in the name of God, the church, religion, and unjust laws, people throughout our history have literally been weeded up and burned up. Just this week, you may have heard this as well, just this week, Pope Francis apologized for the Catholic Church's role in Canada's residential school system and the abuses that took place within it, which forced assimilation that aimed to strip indigenous children of their culture and traumatized generations. His words were simply this, I humbly beg forgiveness for the evil committed by so many Christians. Friends, these acts were done by Christians, sanctioned by the church, who at the time believed they were sorting the weeds from the wheat and getting rid of the evil within entire indigenous communities. Christianity can easily be turned into a game of insiders and outcasts, like the Game of Thrones, with dire consequences. In fact, at the recent hearings conducted by the House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol, it was revealed that Roger Stone stood before a rally of people, of protesters, before the insurrection and said this, this is nothing less than an epic struggle for the future of our country, between dark and light, between godly and godless, between good and evil. And we will win this fight, or America will step into years of darkness. Now you might say to me, Amy, it's a far leap from wheat and tares to Christian nationalism, but let me bring it a little closer to home, to St. Andrew United Methodist Church. Within the three weeks that I've been here, I've heard complaints. Complaints that the church has heard and received about the banner in our front yard. 
One of those calls came from a resident of Douglas County. She proceeded to tell the volunteer who answered the phone that the sign was offensive. And why would we even have such a sign if we were indeed a true church? The caller went on to say it was irrelevant because only 1% of Douglas County residents are gay. Our volunteer, with so much courage and grace, took a deep breath and simply replied, well, it's actually 10% of our community. And like the banner says, all are welcome here. And in fact, we're a church that actually believes it. So why don't you come on down Sunday and see for yourself? (laughs) Silence. The caller hung up. Now, some folks believe that Christians are doing the world and God a great service when we decide amongst ourselves who gets to belong and who doesn't. What constitutes the wheat from the weeds? But that's where the harm comes in, in trying to separate the two or to think the two don't exist within us all. As I mentioned, my gardening experience is pretty limited. So in preparation for this sermon, I called a dear friend and neighbor in Washington, D.C., who happens to be a master gardener. And I asked him to tell me a little more about weeds. And he misheard me and said, well, it's actually you that moved to Colorado. And I thought by now you'd know a lot more about weed. (laughs) And so I had to kind of clarify, no, I'm calling about the weeds. Can you tell me more about the weeds? But he shared some insights with me that I've never heard before about weeds. He shared that weeds in a garden actually tell a story. They're a source of great information about the state of the soil and what's going on. And even though weeds use up some of the soil's nutrients, if they are allowed to complete their life cycle, those nutrients will make their way back to the soil and actually protect the soil from the harshness of the elements. Biblically, in Middle Eastern climates and cultures, the weeds are identical to the wheat. If you walk around farms all throughout the Middle East, you can't tell the difference. So weeds are actually life-giving, interconnected, and are hard to separate. This dualism found in the gospel today of weeds and wheat, of only seeing two types of people in the world, children of the kingdom and children of the evil one, is troubling and harmful. Contextually speaking, there are some in our own community, like Matthew's congregation, who want to purify the community by rooting out the bad seed and the weeds. That seems to be a temptation of the followers of Jesus at every age. Now, some of you might be a little surprised today to see me in the clerical collar, or what Rev. Mark would call the flea collar. Um, I don't wear it very often, truthfully. But this week, it mattered, not for separation's sake, but to tell another side of this story. That the church, specifically this church, seeks to be a neighbor to a hurting world. 
We had the honor this week as a congregation, and I say we, the collective we, all those of us gathered here and online and really any at all a part of our community. We had the honor of providing a funeral to a young woman that many in our world would have considered a weed. She struggled. She struggled a lot. And when she took her life, the church that she was baptized in, the church that she was raised in, did not welcome her family for her funeral. When Carly and I met with these parents, they wept coming in our doors. They wept because they realized that their daughter would not only be welcomed here in death, but she would have been welcomed here in life. After the service, an older gentleman came up to me and thanked me on behalf of us all for being a good neighbor. See, he lives in the neighborhood nearby. And when his friends, who were the parents of the young woman who died, told him where they were having the funeral, he said, oh yeah, that's, that's part of my neighborhood. He claimed our space as his own, even though he doesn't worship here. St. Andrew, that's what it means to be a good neighbor. Jesus' parable makes clear that any attempt to root out the weeds will only do more damage to the wheat itself. Tyler Merritt, in his book, I'll Take My Coffee Black, writes this. Proximity breeds empathy, and with empathy, humanity has a fighting chance. I don't know about you, friends, but I really think we need each other to have a fighting chance. The rooting out has played out far too long in congregations and communities and denominations, with some determined to get anyone out who does not agree with the right interpretation of Scripture, liturgy, or even in the case of the United Methodist Church, who can be members, baptized, married, or ordained. But it's not just in the church. There are also some who pronounce judgment on people outside of the church, on people of other faiths, for example, declaring them to be destined for eternal damnation. I came across this study recently, and I thought it was really interesting. The Public Religion Research Institute reports today that there are as many Muslims in the United States as Lutherans twice as many Buddhists as Episcopalians, and moreover, the median age of Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists is some 20 years younger than white Christians. And despite the loud, angry voices most visible in the media today, seven out of 10 Americans, seven out of 10 of us, say that we are proud to live in a religiously diverse nation. This growing religious diversity impacts nearly every aspect of our lives together. Even the United Methodist women that you heard about before, which was an institution in the United Methodist Church that started with eight women and over 153 years ago. And now they have nearly half a million women around the world. They recently changed their name. Why? Why? United Women in Faith wants to be more welcoming and inclusive to all who belong and have a place in our community, all who belong and have a desire to serve. 
So whether the judgment is focused within the church or in the world, thinking that we have the power, the authority, the right to separate the wheat from the weeds does serious damage to the body of Christ, to the church, our mission, and our ability to be good neighbors. If you recall, the parable of the servants, it's the servants who see the weeds. I'm sorry, if you recall, in the parable, it's the servants who actually see the weeds. They want to pull them up. They want to throw them into the fire. Today, in our community, that uprooting might sound like deport them, build a wall, let them burn in hell, keep them out. But what is often overshadowed about this parable and what I have come to learn and love about this parable is the householder's response to the service, the servants, which is understated and quietly revolutionary, which is simply this, let them grow together. Let them grow together. We kind of miss that in all the other stuff. Imagine how different our world, our church, our communities, our schools would be if every time we saw something that we thought didn't belong, every time we perceived a weed among wheat, we took the householder's attitude rather than the servant's. What if we stood as a church of compassion, stood as a church that commits to growing together in our differences rather than a church of judgment and punishment. Can you imagine the beloved community that we could create together? Not too long ago, we received another call here at the church. This time, it was about our drought-resistant grasses. Now, these grasses require little fertilizer, little water, and it's actually something the church planted to be good stewards of the earth, right? To be good neighbors, to share our resources and use them wisely. The person calling, however, didn't like our grasses, didn't really see the value of them in the same way, and asked that we just cut the weeds. Could we please just cut the weeds because he was tired of looking at them from his kitchen window. The staff member listened, tried to share our commitment and desire to be good stewards of the earth as part of our theological understanding for the care of God's creation. And again, silence. I didn't follow up though and ask if we invited him to church or took him some popcorn because I do think that would have helped. I'm hoping he'll show up one day. But I offer these examples only to say that this neighboring business is really messy. It's hard stuff. And we can't separate ourselves any more than we can separate the weeds from the wheat. Now, true confession here. St. Andrew, the more I get to know you, I love you. And it's not because we're manicured or perfect or have it all put together or we're uniform in any way. In fact, I think we're a kind of weedy bunch here. (laughs) But I wonder if we're willing to take the risk needed, if we're willing to take the risk needed to step out and step up and truly let this garden grow and see what comes up, weeds and wheat together. I wonder... 
I wonder what it would mean and look like. Because we say that we welcome the weeds and really those that church and society would label the weeds to come and be a part of our community. But what does that look like in our action, in our words, in our conversations, in the fellowship hall or on Facebook or in our community? How do we actually make space and embrace the weediness in each other, in ourselves and in our neighbors? Let all who do not belong to one another grow together. Let all who don't fit into each other's categories of purity and perfection grow together. Let the wheat and the weeds grow together. Let us and them grow together because the line between the weeds and the wheat is so intertwined if it exists at all. And to separate us from one another diminishes the body of Christ and harms the whole. Just as it is the crossing of a border, it is our own judgment that turns a plant into a weed. But it is through our welcoming, our walking, our connecting, our loving, our extending the table, our building bridges and peacemaking that transforms weed and wheat into the beloved community where all indeed have a place of welcome. In closing, I'd like to recast this parable a little bit with the help of preacher and author Barbara Brown Taylor. She writes it this way. One afternoon, in the middle of the growing season, a bunch of farmhands decided to surprise their boss and weed his favorite wheat field. No sooner had they begun to work, however, they began to argue about which of the wheat-looking things should be taken out. Did the Queen Anne's lace, for example, pose a real threat to the wheat, or could it simply stay for decoration? And the blackberries, after all, they were weeds, but they were so good and delicious and nearly ripe. And then there was the honeysuckle, which had a sweet smell. Ah. Oh. It would be a shame to pull up anything that sweet and beautiful. About the time they had gotten around to debating the purple asters, the boss showed up and ordered them out of his field. Dejected, they did as they were told. Back at the barn, he took their machetes away, poured them some lemonade, and invited them to sit down where they could watch the way the light moved across the field. At first, all they could see were the weeds and what a messy field it was, and it felt like a discredit to their profession. But as the summer light wore on, they marveled at this profusion of growth. Tall wheat surrounded by tall goldenrods, accented by the mixture of ragweed and black-eyed Susans. Even the poison ivy flourished alongside of the Cherokee roses. It was a mess. A mess, but a glorious mess. And when it had all bloomed and ripened, the reapers came. Carefully, gently, expertly, they gathered the wheat and made the rest into bricks for the oven where the bread could be baked. And the fire the weeds made was excellent. And the flour the wheat made was excellent. And then the householder called them together farmhands and reapers along with the neighbors. They broke bread, 
that was the final distillation of this messy, gorgeous, mixed-up field. They all agreed it was bread like they had never tasted, and it was so good. Now, friends, I don't know a lot about gardening, but I do know some things about bread. Bread is harder to share if it's never broken. In fact, I remember once a few years ago, I was leading communion at a retreat, and someone came up to me very upset after communion because I broke the bread instead of cut it up in nice little cubes. The more I listened, I learned that she was upset that, in fact, there were crumbs everywhere. And this week, as I was thinking about this particular parable, I thought about that, and I thought, this parable gives us permission to be messy, which is gorgeous and glorious. And together, we're just simply a mixed-up field of humanity, trying the best we can to be good neighbors in the body of Christ. Now, St. Andrew, I believe, I believe, and I've seen it in you, that we can indeed be a church of weeds and wheat, growing together alongside of our neighbors, celebrating our differences rather than weeding them out. We can, in fact, be a witness to our world, one of welcome, compassion, grace, apart from the judgment that the world knows and has maybe even come to expect from the body of Christ. I wonder, will you join me in the garden? Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.